Sidebar with Jackson Hinkle. Boom, there we go. Uh, I'm going to bring Robert in. I don't see Jackson yet, and maybe there's something that I don't know about. R- Robert? No, he just said it'll be a few minutes late. Okay, awesome. Uh, Robert, have you seen what's coming out of Canada? Let me put this on here. I assume that doesn't relate to the snook. No, no, no. It doesn't relate to the snook. L- let me bring this up because it's there's a, there's a level of, of sick, sad irony in all of this. This is, um, oh, maybe we'll have to talk about some other stuff. Justin Trudeau, th- this is literally what he just tweeted. Update, the new national hotline for mental health crisis and suicide prevention will launch next year. As of November 30th, 2023, you will be able to call or text 988 to be directed to mental health crisis or suicide prevention free of charge at any time of day. Setting aside why this uh, is not already either fully available or why it was apparently put on hiatus two years ago, he's launching a suicide prevention hotline to deal with mental unwellness. At the same time, it's actually a little bit after the sunset clause on the exclusion of the mentally ill from medically assisted suicide expires. And like, it's, it's a, it's a sick irony that I, that I can't possibly begin to understand. And the jokes are out there that there's a lot of jokes that people can, I say not jokes, insightful cutting observations and and conclusions that people can come to. Uh, Robert, how's everything going with you? Uh, Good, good. Uh, I think that uh, it was interesting watching some of the Trump news uh, yesterday. It's the uh, ability of people to get the law wrong is, is always striking. Now, it's not a surprise the left does so. The left does so deliberately and malevolently and maliciously. But uh, but even some allies on the right, and it's mostly because they don't know uh, that much about the federal criminal justice system. And so the, the ones that are have the right intentions but are, have the wrong interpretation. So the, the, uh, the Justice Department uh, put out a brief in which they referenced that they had subpoenaed uh, the, uh, the – well, the, the impression was left that they had subpoenaed Trump, that Trump had only turned over certain information, said it was everything, and then they found more. So the suggestion was perjury and obstruction, et cetera. If you know how these subpoenas work, you knew that was unlikely. I got to look at the actual subpoena, and it's not what the media was representing. So the subpoena was issued to the office – of Donald John Trump, the to a specific entity. There's reasons why they did that. And the responder was the custodian of records for that entity. And the so the custodian said, this is the records that I, as custodian for this entity, have in my possession at this time that are relevant to your uh, subpoena. Then when they do a search of Donald Trump's personal residence, they find other documents. There is no necessary contradiction whatsoever between those two events. In fact, you would typically find more documents in searching an individual's personal residence than you would a corporate subpoena to a corporate entity for custodial records at that time. The reason the Justice Department was playing that game using the D.C. grand jury, it's absurd that we have a grand jury on this first place, but putting that aside, is because if they had subpoenaed Trump personally, then Trump or an, or an entity that would be uh, so affiliated with him as to be the equal to a personal subpoena, then he can assert personal objections, including First Amendment selective prosecution, especially Fifth Amendment right not to be a witness against yourself, and the presidential privilege. 
They chose to avoid all of that by subpoenaing a limited entity for those documents. And even though the subpoena said, give us everything Trump has, that you can't do that by subpoenaing somebody else. Be like them subpoenaing you, Viva, and saying, give us everything Barnes has. You don't have custody of everything Barnes has. So uh, they're doing it to to get around the objections that Trump would have as an individual. That comes with a catch. The catch is you don't get everything because the custodian is only a custodian of records for that particular entity that he has in his physical possession at that particular time that the subpoena was served. And my guess is the idea that the lawyer lied and that they hid that, that's just preposterous, quite frankly. They were playing games with a subpoena. Uh, Trump responded in kind. And what this all is further confirmation of is under the guise of this being an archive search, this is simply Trump took deep state docs with him that are embarrassing to the deep state. They've been obsessed with getting him back. They tried to get him back through the archives. Then they tried to get him back through the subpoena. Then they tried to get him through the search. And my guess is by their reaction, they didn't find him any of the three times. They got other docs, but they're not the deep state docs they're looking for. They, they got his now, passport. Two other components that keep getting misinterpreted somehow. The president, this has been established law. I had these uh, trolls from all the way back to the Alex Jones trial, the people that uh, love the plaintiffs in that case, or, or, or hate Alex Jones is really what they're about. The uh, Is they're saying, oh, you don't understand, Barnes, the Presidential Records Act determines what's presidential records, not the president. Apparently unaware that this has already been litigated, already been adjudicated, already been resolved, and by one of their favorite Democratic liberal federal judges. So a president gets to unilaterally declare what is a presidential record or a personal record. If it's a personal record, it's not governmental record, period, end of story. The Justice Department lied today in their opposition brief to the special master's appointment, claiming that they, those records were presidential records by law, and no, they're not. They're, they're personal, they're whatever Trump says they are, end of story. Uh, and then secondly, the, the people still regurgitating the classified stuff, as even the Democrat pro-Democrat lawyers are admitting everything that was subpoenaed, everything that was searched was for things labeled classified, not actually classified documents, which means the search warrant never should have been granted. The subpoena never should have been issued, so on and so forth. This is another reminder that Trump's lawyers have given, given bad advice. This is what happens when you cooperate. When you assume the government's operating from good intentions, they use it against you over and over again. This is why it's bad. You could have told them to shove off from day one. It's what Clinton did. It's what Obama did. It's what Trump should have done. Uh, and then he wouldn't even have to deal with any of this nonsense. But uh, one last point is people are saying, oh, an indictment is imminent of Trump. Uh, aside from the fact they're not going to indict him right in the middle of the uh, midterms, it violates internal DOJ policies, a bunch of reasons. Uh, I don't think they ever plan on indicting him on this because they don't want to tell the world what they're really looking for anyhow. And they don't have legal grounds to do so. Doesn't mean it's impossible that a D.C. grand jury goes off and does something rogue. It's D.C. It's a it's a rogue legal system to begin with. So that's always possible. But it's not probable because they don't have a criminal case. But the best evidence of that is if the Justice Department thought they had Trump dead to rights on obstruction of justice, they never put this in the brief. They entrap other people connected to the case in interviews without them knowing what they have and snare them and. Instead, they just gave a clean roadmap to Trump to know exactly where they were even trying to go. This, by the way, is information they redacted in the search warrant affidavit 
because it was so necessary. And a week later, they disclose it when it's convenient for them. Again, showing how that judge was a fraud by letting by delegating to the government the decision to redact. But the government was a fraud by claiming this was compelled to be redacted when they disclosed it one week later, some of this information. But the fact they're disclosing it means they know they don't have a criminal case. Uh, it's solely meant in a court of public opinion because it has nothing to do with a special master. It has zero to do with a special master. What, whether Trump did or didn't do something in response to a subpoena has zilch to do with whether a special master should be appointed. It's purely for the court of public opinion. So that's the snapshot on that little issue that people were talking about. And, and I, I don't know if we're going to get into it more in detail tonight. I think we've got probably more Russia-oriented, Joe Biden-oriented discussion. But if we get into it, it'll be tonight. And if we don't, it will definitely be on Sunday, Robert. Yes. But, uh, I, I know people were asking those questions. Jackson Hinkle, sir. It's good to be here. Dude, I've been doing some deep diving today. Y y there's not much on the internet by way of scandal. So you're clean on that front. Unless you uh, watch Ben Norton, maybe, and some other folks. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you, Jackson, I was watching your debate with Vosh, or Vosh, however we pronounce it. Uh, it was fun stuff to watch. Wants to make you wants to make me pull my hair out. Uh, but Jackson, okay, uh, you're 22 years old. Yes. 22. Oh my God, this is how we feel. we feel old, Robert. I, I I was like looking up your history. I came across a website from 2018 talking when you were in high school or whatever it's yes. called. Nuts. Uh, Thirty thousand foot overview for those who may not know who you are watching now. And then we got questions, and then we're going to talk. Uh, who you are, how you got to be who you are, and what you're doing now. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on the show. I'm a big fan, obviously, of both of your work. Um, I watch you both and, you know, always see what you say. So very stoked to be here. Uh, I'm a YouTuber. My show is called The Dive with Jackson Hinkle, but I don't know how much longer I'm going to be on YouTube because they're trying to censor anyone and everyone off the platform. You guys are well aware of this. Uh, on Rumble as well, so shout out to the Rumble audience. But what I do is political commentary um, mostly descriptive analysis, a little bit of prescriptive analysis of what's going on in the world as it relates to this changing multipolar order and the breakup of U.S. hegemony. So right now that looks like a lot of Ukraine and Russia stuff, which I'm sure and I know your audience is very well aware of and familiar with um, news as it relates to China and Taiwan. I interview a lot of uh, political figures, people like Colonel Douglas McGregor, Ron Paul, uh, Glenn Greenwald, Tulsi Gabbard, for example, and just try to dig at what's really going on here as we see the decline of the U.S. empire. Because like you said, I'm only 22. I've got a lot to learn. I, I, I you know, every single day I come out and stream and I cover the news, I learn new stuff. So uh, that's kind of my goal with this all. And um, that's what I do. I like doing it. So happy to be here. Go for Before it, you jumped into this space, uh, where'd you grow up? Uh, so these are the Viva questions. Uh, you know, intro questions, but uh, where'd you grow up? What'd your family, what'd your parents do? Uh, any siblings and uh, so forth before you entered into the uh, social media influencer world? Yeah, so I grew up in San Clemente, California. I lived there till I was like 20, 21. And so I lived there up until recently. I moved to LA about a, a year, a year and a half ago, maybe. And um, I grew up in a non-political household. It was just kind of like, average american life uh played sports my whole life that's what i just came back from doing i was just playing some basketball with some friends and game ran a little bit long but uh we won that's what counts and uh but yeah i grew up 
surfing, basketball, that stuff. Didn't do anything political. And then like, I have a very different trajectory than most people that we now associate with most of the people that we talk to. Um, I was like a hardcore liberal when I was 18, I was in high school. I got into my dream school, but my parents didn't have money to pay for me to go to my dream school. Unlike my sisters, they took up all the money. Uh, and so my sisters both went to college and I was going to go to my dream school. And then I was like, I don't really want to be X amount of dollars in debt. So I decided to run for city council in my hometown as a Democrat when I was 18, uh, which was in 2018. And then I lost that. I got my ass handed to me and I ran again in 2019 still as a Democrat. And I had like every single previous Republican mayor endorse me. Uh, I would focus on, you know, it's like local issues. So Democrat, Republican, these words don't even matter in local politics. It was just like, I was a lib when I was younger, but when it came to local issues, like that's what united all of us. And then I got second place there. Um, I, everyone kind of thought I was going to win, but the sheriff's department in orange County, they, they suck. They spent like $50,000 in the last three days of the campaign against me. And I kind of accredit that to maybe a bit of the reason why I lost. And then after that, um, I was a board member of Nancy Pelosi's youth council. So I'd have monthly meetings with her and like 10 other kids. And I was really big in environmental issues, which is extremely, uh, you know, curious given what I cover on my show now so much, it's the energy collapse in Europe as a result of the green energy push. And, um, yeah, I started my YouTube show and I just kind of, like I said, I, I didn't have any sort of like set path that I wanted to take with it, but it's, landed me where I'm at today. And uh, I, I, again, I feel like I learn new stuff every day. Jackson, I'm going to just dive into one thing you said. When you talked about your sisters having used all of the education fund, you sounded a little resentful there. Uh, <laughs> no, so jokes aside, that's funny because these are like, that's kind of funny. One day, well, we yeah, yeah, they they did, they did. No, they well, they both well. The thing is too, they both like got full rides. One academic, one uh, uh, sports base, and they didn't take it. So I was like, why didn't you take the full rides to the schools? Like you went to, they were good schools. It was like, I think it was like Pepperdine and and like San Francisco. Well, maybe San Francisco is not yeah. a good school, but anyways, uh, they 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 denied him, and then my dad lost his job in two thousand eight. So then uh, they planned to have like, you know, ample income, but obviously they didn't. And that was kind of a moment where I was like, yeah, no, this does. I, I, I am resentful of it because like I wanted to go to the school. But now I think actually I probably ended up better than I would have had I gone to the school um, and dealt with those professors that I thought so highly of at the time. And now I can look back at these people and say, like, that probably would have rotted my brain even more than it was. Uh, when you said, uh, what did your dad do when he lost his job? Uh, scrambled, did multiple startups, got screwed over when he did that. Uh, now he's on a good path and he's, he's fine. He, uh, he works in like dental marketing and also oddly enough, again, given what I cover and what we all cover, uh, he works, he has like a side project he does. That's been somewhat successful doing like COVID testing. Um, uh, but it's not just COVID testing. They're now expanding it to like a bunch of other testing of like diseases and heart diseases and stuff like that diabetes but um yeah they they you know he's been fine it was just like tough for a few years for sure now do you uh, go to public schools uh or what was your educational experience like all public schools and growing up in orange county this is something i've reflected on quite a bit recently because my good friend haas of the infrared show is another great guy that you know everyone sh should 
take the time to check out. Um, he came out to visit me in LA a few months ago and we were talking about like our favorite books and our favorite literature. And he was just like listing all these American classics. I'm like, I haven't read that. I haven't read this. I haven't read that. I started to think about it though. I grew up in a very Republican County and kind of lived like a, you know, Republican upbringing, culturally, traditionally, uh, you know, Republican conservative upbringing, whatever. My school was so liberal and all the teachers were so liberal. And everything they had us read, you know, I think it's important, uh, but it shouldn't be all that you read surrounding like slavery and racism. But that was pretty much like every book we read. And I actually reached out to my English teacher from high school last week and I confronted her about it. And I was like, look, like you need to teach like Jack London. You need to teach Hemingway. You like maybe not Hemingway is the best person, but, there, you know, there's a bunch of great American classics that they need to teach and they weren't teaching in my school. They still don't teach. So I reached out. Um, but that was kind of my education and upbringing. Yeah. Public schools. Hickson, uh, Hickson, Jackson, I'm trying to f- just get who said, if you are not a liberal when you're young, you have no heart. And if you're not a conservative when you're old, you have no brain. I think it's Mark Twain, but I, I can't find it. Um, yeah. You're still a kid. But this is my question, because I, you've proven the fact that you are a very much a liberal, a Democrat, as far as it goes, working with, for or in the presence of Pelosi. Do you still consider yourself to be on the left of the political spectrum? It's a good question. I'm actually, I don't talk about this a lot because most of what I discuss is asking questions and exposing the hypocrisy of the globalist elite, but I'm actually a Marxist. And as a Marxist, I view like my worldview as drawing its own line, neither left nor right. Some of my views, some people call me heterodoxical because they're like, oh, Jackson, you have some conservative views, or I have conservatives say, oh, Jackson, you have some leftist views. Uh, As a Marxist, I ascribe to neither. And I view everything from a dialectical worldview. And I look at everything also within the context of my presence as an American patriot in the structure, superstructure and infrastructure of American history and what it means to be an American. So, um, I don't know. I, I guess that it's kind of a tricky answer, but. Well, let, let me ask you this. What does it mean to consider yourself a Marxist? Well, I think in today's day and age, it means fighting for similarly to what actually I think I think there's a lot that Marxists today in the West should hold in common with people like London LaRouche. Um, there, there's a lot of Marxists today who think that like, oh, it just means being like an ultra leftist. At the end of the day, that's not what being a Marxist is. Being a Marxist means, again, recognizing the material reality of your country and using Marxism, the texts, the the people who have, you know, people like Lenin, people like Marx, people like Hegel, for example, uh, who have written all of the theory to use as a guidance, as a guidance, as a pretext for how you should be navigating the material world. Leftists, they elevate themselves above what is material in this country. They operate in abstracts. They say, we're going to have a future that is borderless, that is free of any, you know, uh, culture, any history, any religion. And that's why they isolate themselves so much from the American public, because they can't reckon with the real world. A Marxist understands this. And to a certain extent, but to a far lesser extent, I think some conservatives do this, too. Uh, there's there's a certain bit of this on either side. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's what I think it means to be a Marxist. Now, 
how would you describe your progression? In other words, in terms of ideas, what shaped those ideas, what were some of the turning points in your perception of the world and what sources you trusted and so forth? Um, I think that I had a big awakening when, I don't know. I think, I think it was kind of, I think it was kind of slow and steady. I don't think there was like one given moment. Um, I think that meeting Haas, the guy I just mentioned, he's a guy who introduced me to a lot of, uh, Marxist theory. And that was kind of a changing moment for me because prior to that, I only read like the basics and that was a changing moment. Understanding people and the worldview of individuals like LaRouche and like uh, Dugan, for example, understanding the need for a multipolar world and, you know, the the intricacies of trying to maintain this, you know, U.S. hegemony and the danger of that rather than pursuing win-win cooperation. Things that people like Henry Carey, who is Abraham Lincoln's economic advisor, espouse. Um, that was kind of the changing biggest changing moment for me. And I guess that finally manifested when we saw this war in Ukraine break out. And that's when I got a big jump in my audience, um, probably primarily because people were just interested in the war and what was going on day to day, because we hadn't really seen like a massive ground war like this in a uh, amongst like a major player, global player um, in our lifetimes. Uh, Ukraine and Russia is not Syria, Venezuela, Iran, or Iraq or Afghanistan. But I think now like discussing the changing world order and the end of the neoliberal world, world order is what my audience primarily is interested in. Um, and that's what I'm primarily interested in. And it's like, who, who's controlling the, uh, tethers right now? Who are the players? How is this all changing? What is China doing? What is India doing? What is Turkey doing? You know, these are the questions that I think are very interesting. I want to say, I'm not going to bring up the chat now, Jackson. I suspect you might watch this afterwards. You're going to get lambasted for arguably, people are going to, are going to say you're not clear on what Marxism is and whatever. I think at some point in time, you might realize what you believe Marxism to be is actually more like a libertarian sort of uh, ideology and actually not Marxism, which my understanding is a little different. But we don't need to get fixated on that. This is not a question of like disagreeing on one issue and therefore disagreeing on all. I, I, I will say before we jump forward, though, that I think libertarians are probably the closest sect to what I believe a true Marxism is in the United States. Yeah. I mean, what you're describing is analytic Marxism, which the is uh, uh, it was a framework for perceiving events as opposed to ideal the various ideological in, in the American political discourse. The word Marxist is really divorced from and that's that's why i don't say it a lot because most people think marxism means the takeover of all private property uh these are the the bastardization of the word marxism the if struggle you, between social classes specifically between the bourgeoisie the capitalists and the proletariat or workers defines economic relations in a capitalist economy and will inevitably lead to a revolution revolutionary yes, but, and I don't want to get too hung up on this, yeah. but that's exactly the fight that we're talking about when we talk about this great reset. When we talk about the great reset agenda, it is the globalist elite. It is the Klaus Schwab's. It's the Ursula von der Leyen's waged against the last bulwarks of what is the American proletariat or the, the Dutch proletariat, the farmers. You know, uh, George Washington said that the most respectable employment that any man could take up is to be in agriculture, be a farmer. 
It is the globalist oligarchical elite versus us. We are ruled by criminals. And this is exactly what, um, you know, any anyone who, who's, you know, dived into really like what Marxist literature is. You dive into what Hegel is. You dive into what dialectical materialism is. This is how you should view the world. Again, I think that the word's been bastardized. That's why I usually don't talk about it, but you asked, so I answer. No, no, and, and I appreciate the honesty and like sincerely, and the internet is what it is. People have their own impressions and they're going to have their own conclusions. I do say though, the irony here is that you'll consider yourself a Marxist, setting aside how people understand that term, while at the same time now feeling the wrath of the left because you are definitely not a MAGA Republican. I think we can safely conclude that, or you don't consider yourself to be one now. You might be one in, <laughs> in six months, depending on how the terms change. Uh, so you're not a MAGA Republican. You consider yourself to be a Marxist, and you're now feeling the wrath of what people would call the left, the institutionalized left, when you dare go against the grain, go against the narrative, Tell us about that because you're like you're 22. You started YouTube a few years ago. Uh, when did you start your YouTube channel? Uh, 20, uh, 20, 20, February 2020. Okay, so a couple years. Uh, you were monetized up until a certain point. Tell us how that occurred that you got permanently demonetized and what did you learn? <laughs> well, I want to put a pin in that and I'll and I'll come back to what you said about the MAGA part. Um, I think that, you know, I think that the vision of MAGA is actually incredible. Uh, do I think that Donald Trump held up to everything that he said he was going to do? Of course, no one does. Do I think that he was lied to a lot by the people that he put around himself? Yes, I do think he was. And, he, you know, he fell for a lot of it. Do I think also that he was um, completely screwed over as the commander in chief of our country? when he was telling people like James Jeffries, the Syrian envoy to remove troops from Syria and James Jeffries laughed behind his back and said, yeah, we're going to do it. And then he never did it. And then he boasted about it after the fact. Yeah. So I think the closest ad, uh, allies that someone like myself has in the United States government right now are people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, people like Thomas Massey, people like Rand Paul, for example. So um, those are my closest allies. Those are the people that I look to, to uphold the, you know, stances that I share on the issues that I care most about. Um, and I think that should be celebrated. And I'll also say before we move on to the censorship discussion is that Marxism has never, ever, ever been in any country that you well, almost any country that you can look at. It's never really been, you know, George Soros leftists. Uh, that's a uniquely American thing. And it's a cancer that's spreading to all of these you know, European countries. Now you look at German Marxists, it's spreading there. You look at Latin America, it's spreading there. You look at, uh, for example, in Chile, you look at Colombia, you look at uh, Brazil now with Lula, he's coming back and now he's woke. Uh, you look even at Venezuela, Maduro's beginning to sound kind of woke in some capacities, like, and he's really the last bulwark against that stuff in Latin America. So I think that this whole woke Marxism is really a cancer unto Marxism and it's ahistorical. But as for censorship, I was censored for telling the truth about Ukraine. Uh, they never really identified what it was. I think it was because I used a word that started with end, in and ended with S and had a Z in it far too many times to describe. Yes, uh, you, have to, you have to go with Yahtzee because nobody has a problem with Yahtzees. It's a very fun game to play with children unless like the Yahtzees take over the, <laughs> unless they take over the country. So, Yahtzee's the yeah. fun game to play with. Yes. I, so maybe, <laughs> yeah, that's the lesson I learned. Yahtzee's a fun game to play. But 
uh no really they and i know you guys have come under this too but they they it's insane the world we live in we have these blue and pink haired liberal elites that went to boston college or went to you know brown university they come back to silicon valley now they tell us what we can and cannot say like these are people by the way who think that it's acceptable that you can't get a tattoo before you're the age of 18 but you can do genital mutilation before you're the age of 18 you know it's like it's completely asinine the world we live in and uh i i don't know it's like it's crazy. It's crazy um, that we, it, this isn't my America. You know, I talked to my parents about this, uh, who are not political in the slightest. And they're like, this is not the America we grew up in. You know, this is their, what they're doing though. And it's not just me getting censored. It's not just, uh, you know, you guys getting censored. What they're doing is, at least I think, is they're trying to strike at the basic premise of what it means to be an American. They're trying to raise a generation and multiple generations of people that think anti-free speech is American. And censoring disinformation is actually what it means to be an American. You know, they're they're striking at this because they want people to feel as though there's nothing to fight for. So when the Great Reset comes, they can pick up the pieces and manipulate all of us in whatever ways they want. And we're not going to push back. We're not going to fight against that because we'll feel hopeless. You know, we'll feel like there's nothing worth fighting for. That is what makes America America. We're a diverse country. We're religiously diverse. You know, some people like, you know, uh, MTG, you know, will say this is a Christian nationalist country. I push back on that. Uh, we are ethnically diverse. The thing that holds America together, in my view, is these are these fundamental values that we're supposed to be guaranteed. And if they're not being guaranteed, it's our duty to alter or abolish the government. And that right now that those those basic premises are being destroyed by the George Soros lackeys that run this country. Now, when you started exploring it, uh, what was your initial intention with uh, with uh, the, the YouTube channel? Was it, hey, I got some ideas. I want to explore them. I want to explore what my own ideas are, see what the audience thinks. What was your initial process and how did that uh, change over time? And in the same vein, how did you uh, find the sources that you found? In other words, how do you go outside of the institutional narrative that you're talking about the gatekeepers wanting to maintain a monopoly of? Uh, how did you find ways to find independent voices in, and separate from the institutional voices? Asking questions, getting pressed by my own audience about things that I had assumed previously and looking into the details further. You know, like I, I'm never one to shy away from things that I'm and, and also just recognizing that, like I said earlier, I don't know everything and I'm learning a lot. So whatever, I, I need to look more into further issues. So the first time this happened that I really remember was there was um, there was a contingency of my audience that was big fans of the gray zone. And I remember that someone brought up the topic of Xinjiang, China and quote unquote Uyghur genocide there. And without getting too into the details of that you know, issue in particular, uh, I made claims that I thought were sound about that, that I had heard from people that I respected about the genocide in Xinjiang, China. And upon further looking into, you know, really detailed journalism that was done by Max Blumenthal uh, and others like um, forgetting his first name, his last name is Singh at, at the Gray Zone. He doesn't report there a lot anymore, but he used to. Uh, upon looking into that stuff, I was just blown away at how much of a you know, National Endowment for Democracy, CIA back stunt this whole uh, propaganda effort was and what the overarching goal there is. 
there's a reason why George Soros says that Xi Jinping poses the greatest threat to open societies today. I think there's many things to be critical of Xi Jinping over in China over. They're culturally very different than us. But um, at the end of the day, they do pose a serious threat to the Malthusian worldview that says that we want to focus on degrowth and we want to focus on depopulation. They pose a serious threat to that, a threat that um, many in London and Wall Street, I think, take to heart. So looking at people like that, uh, diving deeper into it, the gray zone I read a lot, um, uh, antiwar.com, Libertarian Institute I read a lot, uh, Wall Street on Parade I read a lot. Those are some of the biggest outlets I read every day. Uh, Jackson, I'm just going to pull this up because I saw the question. It's, it's decent. Please ask him one name of someone on the left who is in power. I don't know what that means. And who is pursuing oh. his values. I guess, I mean, that means where is the anti-establishment left? <laughs> is, is the, where is the anti-war left? It's on vacation. Uh, I mean, it's Tulsi Gabbard. But I mean, there's a range of people, Glenn Greenwald, Tulsi Gabbard, uh, Jimmy Dore, it, with, it, with influence in the influencer community. But there really is there anybody in Congress at this point? No, I think Jimmy Dore is a good example of someone. Um, I'm on his show, you know, several times a week. I, I love Jimmy. Um, yeah, I mean, Glenn Greenwald's never really described himself as left. I think people have kind of cast that upon him, maybe semi appropriately. Tulsi, similarly. Um, I, I, I don't know. It's like I don't think that there really is. I, I consider. I consider the American left today to be my enemy. That's what I consider them to be. Um, you know, I have people like you brought up Ben Norton. Ben Norton's done a lot of great work that I really respect. And I used to look to him for a lot of, you know, uh, commentary on Latin American issues. But when you have people like Ben, who've done so much great work that don't understand the dystopian COVIDian nightmare agenda of the biomedical security state that they're trying to shove down our throats. And they're openly condemning anyone who's who's exposing that. That's a problem. When you have people like Ben Norton who are coming out and saying that I myself is a fascist, just like he believes Alexander Dugan is a fascist. He wrote that the day after Alexander Dugan's daughter was assassinated. Uh, that's a problem, you know, and that's clearly someone that doesn't want to work with me and not only doesn't want to work with me, but considers me to be um, such such a parasite that if I were to be assassinated, then he would have no deal with it. He would have no problem with it. So I, I don't really, I think most of the left today is co-opted by um, these either directly or indirectly, knowingly um, or unwittingly. They are, they've been co-opted and manipulated by uh, these sorts of figures, the globalist figures that we all discuss, you know, and they're pursuing the agenda that's going to wreak havoc on this world for in the indefinite future. I, I didn't know Ben Norton had gotten into politics. I liked him in American History X and Fight Club, um, but, but I'm tis. Uh, but so, so you start, you know, you, you have your channel. It, it, gets, um, it gets monetized. You're sort of trying to make something of an income out of this. Uh, you start talking freely about certain issues. I'll just say this. Look, you think you're on the left and you consider yourself on the left. And even set aside the definition of Marxists and Marxism. Uh, I don't know what these terms mean anymore because no one on the left, the institutional left, will look at you and say that you're on the left. They will say that you're a far right extremist because that's the catch all now. You question the. That's what you are, Viva. You're a far right extremist. I know. It's like, and, and like, I guess then you go, you go down to like the granular policy issues like gay marriage, gun rights, whatever. 
tax. Should you pay more taxes? Should you be entitled to other people's money? Whatever. But you consider yourself to be on the left. You start building up a brand. You start building up a business because that's what it is. And then they come and shut you down. How did that happen? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it was really crazy because it didn't even happen until I started covering the war in Ukraine. So it wasn't even left versus right, per se, at that point. All my coverage was focused daily on the war in Ukraine at that point, because this happened uh, maybe like, I don't even know, maybe like maybe like two months ago uh, that I really got hit hard. I mean, initially they went after my merchandise stores and they banned me from like where I sold my merch for years. And and then they banned me from Twitch. I said that there was um, I said that there was labs in Ukraine, you know, and I talked about that and. I didn't say anything that was, you know, crazy. I didn't say anything that was just like a regurgitation of the MFA in Russia uh, or, or, or the um, Ministry of Defense in Russia. I, I was talking about was what Robert Pope, the director of the Center for Threat Reduction Program, which is the U.S. Uh, program that actually has overseen these former Soviet biolabs in Ukraine over the past 30 years was saying. So I was talking about that. I was talking about... Uh, those. And for that, I was labeled a harmful misinformation actor by Twitch, which is owned by Amazon. And I was permanently banned. Keep in mind that this is the same platform that gave a seven day suspension this week to a woman who went out on an all ages live streaming website and live streamed her herself getting her back blown out. Um, this is it's just completely hypocritical. There, what, what is what is getting her back blown out? Mean? <laughs> uh, I mean, a certain form of uh uh, 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 interaction between adult human beings. <laughs> he was getting a crash course. In- I, I thought she pulled her back like doing no, yeah. something. Nope, he doesn't mean that. Bum, bum, bum <laughs> intercourse from the bum. Yes. Okay, there's nothing. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> she, so yeah, but seven days for her, all ages streaming website, lifetime ban for me. Three days later, Victoria Newland comes out before Marco Rubio in the Senate and gives her infamous testimony that, yes, there are biolabs in Ukraine. Then, of course, we had the Pentagon come out not too long thereafter and, uh, you know, confirmed that not only were there a few, but there's actually a lot of them. Okay, so that and then and then after that, I got banned for life from PayPal. After that, I got banned for life from Venmo. Um, This was because I violated their terms of agreement surrounding my my social commentary um, then I got a 21 day suspension from YouTube and I got permanently demonetized by YouTube because they said I violated their partner program or whatever, their YouTube partner program. Interestingly enough, and uh, this is kind of the last part of the story as it relates to the censorship wave, the it was uncovered that the Ukrainian government has a ministry called the Ministry of Digital Transformation. This is a Goebbels-esque, you know, Ministry of Propaganda style arm of the Ukrainian government that, you know, is is pretty quiet. People don't hear about it a lot. But the Ministry of Digital Transformation on behalf of the Ukrainian government is still today operating a Discord server, which is in direct violation of Discord's, you know, community guidelines that targets people who put out, quote unquote, Russian disinformation and sends their thousands of Discord members to go and mass report a user. So 
it was actually in these leaked Discord server transcripts that they found that these people were saying, oh, my God, we got him. We got Jackson Hinkle. We targeted him. And now he got demonetized. He got removed from YouTube, so on and so forth. So, um, you know, this stuff goes high up. It's the Ukrainian government at this point that's coming after us. And I'm sure it's not just uh, centered to me. I'm sure that they're going to be coming after you guys, too. And um, yeah, it's 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 a travesty that we have the most corrupt country in Europe that's dictating what we can say here in America. When uh, you had a merch store, things like that, like are you when when, when we hear of people getting this type of deplatforming, you assume they're selling shirts that like have the hard N word, like the hard K word, ethnic slurs, racial slurs, uh, you know, Kathy, what's her face? Kathy. The woman who held the the Trump Griffith, Kathy Griffin, like that's the type of thing we're thinking about. What what was the nature of your merch? What was the nature of your PayPal? And then what were the what were the specific allegations, or were there any specific allegations? Well, for the shirts, I committed the ultimate sin of having a a Z on a shirt, a black shirt with a Z on it. Just the Z or the full Yahtzee? Just the Z. A double Z, like one overlaying the other, or just the Z. Just the letter Z. So you because you that was a, the that was uh, when Ukraine was banning it, right? Yeah, uh, Ukraine, Latvia, and Germany all banned the letter Z. Which is funny because Zelensky's name starts with a Z. But you know. well, now now it's Zelensky. So yeah, <laughs> oh, exactly. well, I think they banned Y too, so it's just a Linsk. Um, <laughs> yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. So the but uh, yeah. no, so they so they banned so they banned that, and then I actually uploaded them to another website called Tzilly. It's a French website. And uh, they were selling my shirts as well as a shirt that I, I made. It was hilarious. Have you guys ever seen the little like tin can plane thing and Zelensky's sitting in like the blue and yellow? It's like a little canister thing. And it's I put that on a shirt and I put RIP Ghosts of Kiev on it. And I sold a lot of those shirts and a lot of the Z shirts. And then T-Zilly banned me and they fulfilled all the orders, but they never paid me. So I'm having to somehow sue a French company now for like thousands of dollars. I just want to bring up one thing. I had no idea the letter Z was so controversial. Yes. They had, they had damn well better. Uh, hold on. <laughs> I don't want to see an so ad. Show you Three, two, Grammarly. Now you see what ads I get, people. Take it down. Take it down, people. Uh, so They're indoctrinating our youth. Like I, I did not know that that was a meme. So it was just a black shirt that said Z. Everyone knows what it means. It's literally the last letter of the alphabet on a shirt black like this, and you got in trouble for that. Yeah, one Z on the front, one Z on the back. That's it. <laughs> now, and then PayPal, Venmo, they all, you know, vaguely said I was, uh, you know, in violation of their agreements. What we know about that is three days before I was banned from PayPal and Venmo. Max Blumenthal at the Gray Zone exposed a story surrounding Paul Mason. It's referred to as Masongate. He's a UK political figure that was running for some office in the Labour Party. And um, he was he, he, there was leaked emails from Paul Mason to other, you know, MI6, you know, affiliated individuals. And Paul Mason was saying, we're going to go after the Gray Zones, PayPal and Venmo, just like we went after Mint Press News's and consortium newses PayPal. We're going to target them there and try to deplatform deplatform them. I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what he said. And then three days later, after that story's published, you know, I get hit with the PayPal Venmo ban. 
I have to think what may have been behind that. I can't confirm, but it's very possible. Just want, just want to bring this up, just, just to show you know th- this is still all available. People, eighty six forty five, make America think again. It, they just meant take him off the ballot. They didn't mean anything more than that. But a Z on a shirt, rules for thee, but not for me. Uh, okay, that's phenomenal. That's, yeah. I mean, not phenomenal. That's, yeah, it's crazy. How much, how much were you surprised in going through the whole Ukraine experience, covering it from multiple independent sources? How I'm always curious when young Americans come to discover that their government and the mainstream media, institutional media across the political scale, doesn't matter, left, right, wherever they are, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Rupert Murdoch, the New York Post has told more lies about Ukraine than pretty much everybody. They have a fake news almost every other day. Murdoch is a huge war whore. Uh, so, but it doesn't matter whether you come from the right or you come from the left, just the massive amount of just open, overt lies. How much of that was a surprise? How much of that, what inf- effect or impact did that have on you? Because I'm always curious how people responded to witnessing in live time how the war machine works in various governments and societies. I feel like I was pretty well equipped with the nature of mass media in the United States and our political institutions and all of the you know NGO infrastructure in, in the West. I think what surprised me the most was and and I think it surprised maybe maybe just about everyone is for the first time what I believe to be in recorded history we now have the the collective west which has sanctioned themselves into not only a crisis like this is like empire catastrophe level uh, destruction what we're now going to be witnessing I think that surprised me more than anything else you know I was I always followed uh, serious stuff. I always followed, you know, all of, all of the likely suspects. I was a big WikiLeaks supporter, Julian Assange supporter. Um, but there's something unique about, and something poetic actually, about the United States and the EU, who've cast so many sanctions upon so many people that have crippled economies, starved families, destroyed lives, caused in in you know, a, 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 the amount of death that we can't even begin to fathom through all the sanctioned warfare that they've levied against people who don't ascribe to Western norms or don't ascribe to like LGBTQ uh, ideology, you know, because they don't like what they do in their Eastern worldview. Um, now we've sanctioned ourselves into oblivion. It's kind of poetic. I wish it wasn't the case because I live here. Uh, I don't want to see my economy implode, but Uh, There's something to be said about that. That's what's probably surprised me the most. What what I love is, um, yeah, setting aside the disagreement over what Marxism means. And I noticed the chat changing. I noticed, you know, more people watching. Setting aside Marxism. Jackson, you're a MAGA Republican. You just don't know it yet. (laughs) (laughs) So you're watching this now. I was trying to pull up my audiences, too. Well, because the the bottom line is these labels only lead to confusion. They lead to tribalism. It's the principles that underlie them that are that are important. Um, so you, I was trying to pull up the graph of the energy prices in Germany. You're following this. Uh, first of all, I guess Barnes's question. I'm going to ask it in advance. Your sources. I think you went over them briefly, but just repeat. Remind us again where your sources are on these issues for the war in Ukraine. And how you how, how did you find him and how did you pick him? How like I often get this question. Laura Logan recently got this question. How do you vet a source? How do you find a source? 
how do you know which source to trust when you're, especially something like an international conflict? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tough throughout the war in Ukraine. I mean, really the only sources that were publishing like, uh, pretty much factual information. I, I haven't seen a lot of stories that they've had to retract, if any that I can think of off the top of my head, are RT and TOS. Um, they are the ones who followed this all the closest, and they've been very careful not to put out information. Uh, you know, I, I'll see I'll see stuff on my Telegram. I'll see stuff pop up, and I'm like, let's wait till RT or TOS covers this because they are far more... Uh, reserved in their approach of covering these international conflicts. Um, most of what I think that I'm following right now, though, is uh, the changing world insofar as these trade deals, what's going on with BRICS, what's going on between Russia and India, Russia and Turkey, these sorts of things, Russia and China. And that's not like you're not going to get a skewed opinion, whether you look at Bloomberg or whether you look at RT, they're going to say the same thing. And Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, oddly enough, you know, they're kind of starting to cover this stuff. These aren't things that can really slip below the thumb of the American propaganda machine. These are just facts. I'm in the business of reporting facts. And I know everyone says that. But really, from from this news, from the news of, say, Russia and India doing a massive trade deal in rupees and rubles, People can interpret that story a hundred different ways. I think we will probably interpret that story far differently than like a Slava Zucchini supporter. But at the end of the day, the facts are still the facts. What this shows is countries don't have to hide hide if they're going to do currencies alternative to the dollar anymore. You know, they they don't have to fear that they're going to end up like Muammar Gaddafi if they try to establish a new currency alternative tied to the gold standard. They don't have to worry about this. This is a new world. And that's what it shows to us. So I think to a certain extent, the news is the news. It's how you interpret it, how you analyze it. That makes all the difference in the world. So if I'm sourcing or Brian Berletic at the New Atlas, for example, is sourcing news straight from the Pentagon briefing today or the State Department briefing today. Okay, that's the news. That's what they're saying. But you can you can decipher what they mean and what's really going on when they say Russia's engaging in shaping operations in the Nikolaev region. And uh, it seems as though the situation in the Donbass is not going exactly how we imagine. Okay, what does that mean? That means that Russia's steamrolling in the Donbass, whether you like that or not, whether you're supportive of it or not, whatever they are. And Nikolaev is about to come under a similar sort of um, scrutiny by Russian forces that the, the Donbass has. So I, I think that it's all about how you look at the news. But again, how I came to my sources was just seeing who's right and wrong. The Kiev Independent has published so many false things throughout the entirety of this war. Of course, you can look at that. You can look at all the falsehoods that they put forward and see that this is just factually incorrect. You know, you have people all across I don't even like I don't know. That's that's a tough question because like uh, you, anyone could say that. But I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And that, that's I have two questions there. One, what is it like to when you take an opinion that's contra the institutional narrative and then you see that the institutional narrative keeps failing in its short term predictability? Yes. And the contra narrative keeps proving successful in it over and over again in its short term predictability. And how at part one, what was it like to live that, to witness that, to watch that? And then in the same vein, how much did because you started your YouTube channel right as everything crazy COVID was happening? Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. And you got to see that was another global mass propaganda campaign. There were only a few dissident voices, but as time went on, the dissident voices were increasingly confirmed. The institutional voices, everybody. Turned out your local doctor was lying to you. Some of them knew they were lying. Some of them did. Uh, how much did that also influence your willingness to accept contra-institutional narrative? Well, you put it very well, far better than I could have. But the um, throughout the throughout the war in Ukraine, yeah, I mean, I think I think the clearest indication of that has been the uh, economy, the energy markets, what's going on in in Germany, what's going on in France, what's going on in the UK. Um, looking at the division and the disunity in the EU uh, and in NATO and recognizing that like, oh, like they, they're actually not all in agreement with each other. There's some dissident voices even amongst them that are saying like, we don't really want to reduce our energy consumption by 15 percent because Germany didn't diversify their energy, you know. Uh, so even looking at it within the the confines of these like, you know, Western institutions, you can see it. And the more and more you see it, the more and more you begin to say, oh, well, this is actually this is actually the truth. You know, so you, you bring up a good point there. When it comes to covid, I was one of the many who fell under the prop. I fell victim to the propaganda that they were putting forward surrounding covid. Uh, I think when, you know, like I, I even at the start of covid, I wasn't really watching Jimmy Dore. I started watching Jimmy Dore when the covid bills started to come up and they were just funneling so much money to you know the the richest of the richest elite and they were doing nothing with that money they were just putting it in their pockets paul pelosi jr hunter biden jr putting it in their pocket doing whatever they want with it while average americans in my community like my my barber uh shut his doors you know the the mexican place the italian place i used to go to shut their doors every all small businesses were getting completely screwed over uh Plenty of people on the street I used to live on had to move because they could not live there anymore. Like it was, everyone knows it was terrible, but that's kind of what started to um, all the madness of the lockdown. The lockdowns really kind of opened my eyes to what was going on. Um, but I didn't ever really dive too deep into the lunacy behind. Um, I'll be very careful what I say here, but like, you know, the news surrounding the jabs, like that was something that like I didn't really dive into. And I think I fell not entirely propagandized too, but at first I kind of believed what they were saying. So seeing Jimmy Dore cover that a lot and seeing him do interviews with people like Robert Kennedy and seeing him do interviews with people like McCullough, uh, I, I begin to have my eyes open. So I thank him forever for that. But uh, yeah, that, that was a, that was a huge awakening. And it just goes to show that like, no matter what era you are living in, you know, 2000 2001 onward there's always going to be the current thing there's always going to be the current thing that they tried to shove down our throats and they're going to try their hardest and we'll see right through it now we've seen it far too many times we know what the patterns are if it's trump and the fbi if it's russiagate if it's syria if it's ukraine if it's taiwan whatever we all know what it is so th th this is the amazing thing like it, i read the chat people don't they either discredit you because you say you're a Marxist or you're on the left, whatever. Bottom line, though, you consider yourself to be on the left, and that's fine. And I really don't. I really don't. Well, no, it wasn't the accusation of that. It's a question of reaching more minds. So you got the Jimmy Dore. You got people who are generally regarded as being leftists, like Jimmy Dore, um, 
the reporter. Now, Glenn Greenwald, I, I think these labels are idiotic and they're, they're juvenile because they try to pigeonhole an individual based on a term and not the complexities that are an individual. Setting all that too. aside, the, the, my question too is more of a broader one. Are we reaching more people between all of us? Are we awakening more people or are we speaking to fewer and fewer people who are getting, I won't say radicalized, but who already believe the same thing? When, when, when there's a three individual like us, Robert Barnes, who represented Alex Jones, and, and the other guy there, Ralph Nader, uh, there's me, the Canadian, there's you, uh, who debated Vouch, and we're going to get to that in a second. Are, are we reaching more and more people, or are we speaking to fewer and fewer people because more people are tuning out? Well, the short answer is I think our audiences speak for themselves. There's a reason why Chris Cuomo, who just started a YouTube channel, can only muster up like 20,000 subscribers and a few thousand views per every video he posts. Um, I think the more in-depth answer is that the material reality that people are living through right now is causing them to have greater and greater and greater levels of distrust in the establishment, in the elite, in the mass media, which was already not high. I mean, you look at like 2018, what was it, like 18% trust in corporate media across the board in the United States. That's not high to begin with. Maybe that was like 2019 or late 2020. I don't really remember. But as we continue to see things like in Europe, for example, we're going to have, there's going to be revolts all across Europe. Uh, in the United States, we're seeing average Americans who can't afford a $500 expense right now because we have an economy that's based on a service economy based on like, you know, being an Uber driver, being a Lyft driver, rather than actually building things, rather than actually producing goods and commodities. Uh, people are disillusioned with what what you know we are being told is good and acceptable. And they're turning to alternatives. They're saying, what is the answer? What is meaningful life? And it's definitely not what Klaus Schwab is selling them. It's definitely not what Ursula von der Leyen is selling them. Oh, I'm going to take a cold shower. Oh, I can't even take a shower anymore. I have to use a rag to wipe under my arms. That's not, that's not what anyone, that's not a high standard of living. That's an indicator, the clearest indicator that I've ever seen of an economy and a society in complete collapse. Okay, so I think that as the days go on, the situations get worse and worse. Not only are we going to resonate with more people who are having to live through this madness. Uh, you look at Trudeau's stand right now. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy. Not only are more people going to resonate with us, but then the people who are on the other side of it. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I have so many Russians that would. So I, I do one thing when I go live every day, almost every day. I say, where's everyone tuning in from today? You know, about halfway through the stream. I say, where's everyone tuning in from today? And I go down some of these places. I don't I can't even pronounce them. It's like it's all across the world. You know, so I think that more and more and more people are tuning out of the mainstream because they recognize their lies and they're tuning into people like us and Alex Jones, because Alex Jones was right about a hell of a lot of stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, despite the prior disputes between Jimmy Dore and Alex Jones, the uh, Glenn Greenwald was down there for his documentary, he said some very favorable and, and, and sympathetic things. I think what it is, is this is true of the institution, uh, uh, quasi institutional right. But there's a lot of people on the right uh, and a lot of people on the left who I always think have been blinded by their dis disagreements with Alex Jones, especially as it relates to that case. That case was a travesty and a tragedy of justice, and they're going to use it to come after the rest of us. Just as he was the canary in coal mine for big tech deplatforming, 
He's the canary in the coal mine for a weaponized legal system that will take us all out that are dissidents, that are independents, that are outside the mainstream institutional gatekeeper country club narrative, uh, whichever political. I always said politics has always been better understood on a top down scale than a left right scale. Uh, you have sort of different kinds of what I call populist at the at the bottom of the end of the political scale. And then you got various kinds of elites and globalist at the top. Yes. Um, and that they may grab and steal a label that belongs to the ideological or intellectual framework of populist, but that is not, in fact, what that label necessarily means or entails. Yes. Now, a couple of things. One was uh, from our locals live chat. What, uh, one question, I'll go to the question second. The first was a just uh, someone said, Jackson is someone who has been awake and learning since your age. I'm thankful you're out there uh, uh, in, inciting thought crime. I like that. Inciting <laughs> thought crime. That, that's good. That'll be a problem. I will be a crime. I, Robert, I, ju I just said I'm writing that down. <laughs> yeah, that is great. Uh, and you encouraged me about the prospects of your generation. I got a couple of stepkids that are Zoomers. And uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, uh, the Zoomers are going to be more hopeful than the millennials, in my experience. God bless millennials. They drove me nuts. Uh, uh, keep it up and keep your mind agile. And then uh, the other question was, how much... I'm assuming it wasn't part of what was taught anymore in schools, but people like John Locke, people like Jonathan Swift, people like Adam Smith, people like our own founders, people like Thomas, a uh, founding idea guy, Thomas Paine, probably the greatest influence on the American Revolution. Uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson. It, it's it's we we've uh, I think people are starting to wake up now to how public schools have gone off the rails, and one of the differences I describe politically is how much people. Trust elites versus trust ordinary people. You can be left, you can be right, you can be Marxist, you can be uh, anarchist. Well, there's actually anarcho, anarcho Marxist, but Marxist. But you know, you can be anywhere on that scale. And it's who do you trust at the end of the day? Do you trust an ordinary person more, or do you trust some elite somewhere, some distant elite somewhere? And that ends up being what politics is really all about at the end of the day. Um, how much that that these elites in our institutions have been corrupting the minds of generations of Americans in ways that is anti-patriotic, that's anti-American, that's anti-our founding principles. Yes. Uh, how much have you just realized the scope and scale of it as you've explored your own intellectual discovery post high school? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm also glad you didn't leave out our our anarcho-socialists because they're doing very, very good work in Langley, Virginia. Very good work. They're working overtime. Um, the, the, the question about the patriotism, like I said, I grew up living like a very standard life. You know, you play football, you play baseball, you do what you do. You play. I played basketball most of my life. Um, I love the country. I love the 4th of July parades. Now that I'm adult, I, I love to go and party in Newport for 4th of July. There's the, the, and I also said at the beginning, the structure, superstructure, and infrastructure of this country, all things that make it so incredible. Um, you're taught to disavow all of that. And it's getting worse. You're taught to disavow all of that in high school, right? Or I was, I don't know about you guys, but I was. And not only that, but it was kind of seen as the cool thing to disavow what it means to be an American. You know, you were like, I don't know. It was like the, it was like the anti-establishment. That's kind of like the anarchist thing. But now it's gone one step farther than like just being like viewed as an anarchist. You have to be like 
Oh, I'm anti-American. I'm I'm George Washington, slave owner, bad, canceled. You know, now we're getting to the point, and I talk about this with some kids that I know who are in grade school right now. It has become, and I'm not saying I'm not trying to be like divisive here or discriminatory or anything like that, but we're now at a point where like in grade school, these kids like it's more normal to have some sort of a gender descriptor or sexual descriptor attached to your name than if you are a straight cis whatever male you know it's like we're getting to a point though where i think we are going to see we are already seeing some sort of like a cultural revolution that's pushing back against all of this and i think that's great and as for what i've learned after the fact all of those all of those names that you just listed not a single one was taught to me k through 12 Maybe here and there we had like a passage to read. Um, my Euro teacher was was kind of good. I liked him. But um, my AP Gov teacher was a big Van Jones fan, big CNN Van Jones fan. My history teacher junior was a football coach, so he didn't really know anything uh, about history, unfortunately. And yeah, my econ teacher was just and, now, and now, I, I don't know to answer your question i learned a lot of stuff after high school and i didn't go to college and i feel like that would have rotted my brain and now they want to ban george orwell in high schools because it's 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 the irony is it's wrong thing uh jackson how did you end up in the debate with vosh do you are do you have a relationship with vosh or personal or was this a um you know something for entertainment purposes yeah i like to do debates i don't do them a lot People don't like to debate me anymore because when Vosh and I debated, I was, I mean, I still am very unknown to most people, but the, when, when I debated Vosh, it was the first and only one of two times I've ever been trending nationwide on Twitter. And the entire Twitter trend was just people eviscerating Vosh and going after him. We had a debate because he put out some extremely, uh, ludicrous claims that were just regurgitation of what the State Department was saying about the OPCW cover-up scandal from an alleged chemical attack in Duma, Syria. OPCW acronym? Uh, organiza- organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. So, in short, his claim was that Assad was responsible, Bashar al-Assad, the leader of Syria, was responsible for gassing his own civilians in a region of Syria called Douma, um, and also alleged that the same was done in Ghouta, Syria, a few years earlier. And my claim was that the international investigators who went into Douma, Syria, on behalf of the OPCW, not only proved that it was impossible for Bashar al-Assad to have committed the act with his uh, Syrian army, but also that it was indicative that there was actually nefarious foul play on behalf of the CIA and MI6-linked white helmets that have been present in Syria for many years and have played a large role in propagandizing around the Syrian dirty war. Anyways, long story short is the OPCW investigation was covered up. I had a debate with Vosh about this and about the merits of the investigation and what really went on there. And... He was reading from Wikipedia. I was reading from the actual documents that the experts on the ground that are internationally world-renowned, you know, um, forensic specialists were writing about what they saw on the scene. And and that's indicative of how, of how the debate went. 
I, I watched a portion of it. I mean, it, it's first of all, how do you know Vosh to begin with? He is a, uh, you know, he, he's a big Biden supporter. He, he, he's kind of known for just being like a big liberal, uh, you know, physically and fanatically. And he goes after anyone who is to the left of, of, you know, Joe Biden, like he'll use Umberto echoes 14 points to claim that like, I'm a fascist without similarly applying that same rigorous, uh, you know, set of points to Joe Biden himself or to Vosh's own worldview. Vosh is a guy who said that Julian Assange should be locked up in a CIA black site for the rest of his life. And he'd find that good. Um, so, yeah, he, he's a he's an absolutely terrible individual, but he's amassed a very large audience. He has like four hundred and forty thousand subscri- subscribers on YouTube. Um, and he also has some very, very, very concerning uh, views surrounding, you know, like potato files, MAPs. OK, there we go. We, we have another word. But yes, the I can't say the big P word, although we can't pedophile, but potato files, minor attracted persons. Yes. I was going to say earlier when you mentioned the oh, genital perverts. mutilation. We, perverts. We, we, we don't say genital mutilation. Word, perverts. That, 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 you can just sum it up real quick, real easy. Preversion is still preversion, as they say back home in Tennessee. Yes. But the uh, uh, so uh, I know we got about a few more minutes left. Now on sports, how much have you maintained and sustained your interest? In, like, I mean, because of the political politicization of American sports, networks and news, uh, a lot of sports itself. Uh, I still think LeBron James is a great player, or was, but you know the politics has really contaminated the perception of who he is on the court. Um, I think he thinks he's Muhammad Ali. He's not quite there. Um, but how much of, you know, have you maintained uh, your affection for it, given all of the craziness of it um, and, uh, and, and any favorite teams growing up or, or, and still today? Lakers through and through. You, oh, you can't stop me there. I hate LeBron. I, I actually don't like him as a player. I've never really liked him, hmm. but you have to understand like what he, he played for the Cavs. He played for the Heat. He beat us a few years, whatever. I can't like that guy. Right. But, um, you know, Kobe's someone that I derive a lot of, like, my own personal attributes from. I think he was awesome. Um, or I, try, I tried to drive my personal – I can't live to be someone like Kobe. That dude's a fucking legend. But, uh, yeah, Lakers, as far as football goes, I don't really have a team in football. Um I had Sam Darnold went to my high school. I got a bunch of friends that, you know, play at USC right now. A bunch of friends that play at like Stanford, you know, uh, SMU, Alabama. So I'm looking forward to see where they go over the next few years. Uh, But Justin Jackson, he plays on the Lions right now. I know that guy. He's great. But um, I've really, really gotten into uh, boxing and UFC. And I started boxing myself probably about like eight months ago. And um, UFC, I've, I've never done any MMA, but I, I would not mind getting into it. And I follow MMA, UFC pretty religiously. And that, if you're looking for a, a, a sport that is free of any sort of like wokeness, uh, I would say UFC is the place to go. It's the best, the culture, the personality. It's amazing. 
And um, they actually, most of the fighters have a really, really, like, really based political takes from COVID to international policy. I mean, you've got, like, some of the best fighters in the world that are Chechens uh, or Dagestani. So, you know, they, they're friends with Ramzan Kadyrov. What, what more can you say? It's very interesting sport. Jackson, I mean, I got to ask the question because by the framing of this, I am the biggest one of the bunch. But I know that's not the case. How, what are your physical dimensions, if I may ask? <laughs> I'm not, that tall. I'm not that tall. I'm 5'11". You're, you're uh, way taller than me. But... Not that tall. <laughs> what the, no, you're taller than the tallest person in the history of my family. 5'11". <laughs> 5'11". I weigh right now. I just finished like a bulking cycle. So I'm probably about like 185. And I work out every day. At least once. And, and how much do you think like that's the other aspect uh, is sort of the... Uh, one of the last questions uh, and, uh, is I find people who are into independent health, independent nutrition, also as a sign of willingness to challenge, question institutional narratives, uh, uh, willingness to be skeptical of those narratives, willing to live a lifestyle different than what those narratives preach. And that like in your generation, a lot of what's been taught about public health has been wrong. Uh, you know, the, it, it, it ignored the problem of sugar It highlighted other aspects it, at different times has been, you know, male task, you know, toxicity and all that jazz, um, and yeah. you know, sort of downgraded traditional male culture and male values, uh, including physicality, athleticism, uh, success, pretending women can be men, letting uh, men pretend they can be women. I mean, all the rest of it. Um, how much the, uh, how much is that part of, uh, how much do you look to independent sources for nutritional and physical information? Well, I'll never eat the bugs, but I will say that uh, my, I, so this is actually interesting in, in the same way that I had a political evolution that is maybe a bit surprising to a lot of people. I was also a kind of vegetarian for six years. Uh, my only thing was, that I, I would eat meat if I killed it myself. And I had a girlfriend for a while that she had a farm and my sister's fiance is, owns a brewery restaurant. So he has, you know, animals that we go kill. So there, there's that. I did eat meat, but, um, and then I live on the coast, you go spear fishing, you go fishing, whatever. But as for the masculine stuff, I'm very toxic, uh, I'm, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with being toxic. I don't think there's anything wrong with being masculine. I think you should obviously respect women. Women have the most important role in society, bringing life into this world. Um, and, you know, I've got good relationships with, I got good relationships with all my exes. They still love me. But at the end of the day, yeah, for diet, I right now, nine days into only eating meat, I'm going carnivore diet. Uh, so that's new. And I, uh, I do like those, um, those, uh, what are they called? Liver King guy. He has the liver King, uh, supplements things where you is eat it, the is liver. It, is this the guy eating raw meat in the videos on the, on the commercials that we saw? Yes. And I do eat the raw meat. I do eat the liver, but I don't do it a lot because I, I'll, I'll do like two protein shakes a day. Usually I try to do one cigar for every protein shake I do. And I do usually two a day and I will throw in those. He has, he has pills now where he'll just like, he'll just dehydrate liver, spleen, kidney, heart from like, 
It's just like New Zealand grass-fed cow, and I'll throw it into a pill. And I just open those up, and I throw them into my protein shakes. And it's as simple as that. That's extra protein. So that's what I eat. I just got thrown, th- uh, taken aback when you said all of your previous girlfriends. You're 22 years old. How many girlfriends could you have had, Jackson? Come, I'm going to read one chat from the Rumble Rants. It's a Rumble Rant. It says, when he said Marxist, my first thought was, watch his political evolution will mirror Thomas Sells. <laughs> Let's not get hung up on labels, people. I think we've heard Jackson express himself and explain himself in detail above and beyond a label. And now you can one, all come to your conclusions. I only have one last question. Uh What's the best cigar you've had? The best cigar I've had was, I don't, I actually don't know what brand it was, but I went to uh, Beverly Hills Cigar Club and I had one there as a Cuban. I don't have a Cuban plug here in LA. So it was some sort of a Cuban. It was great. But when I'm not smoking Cubans, uh, I go to this place down the street, uh, Jack Lope. It's actually, you may know that, Bar Jack Lope. And uh, I smoke uh, strictly Cohibas there. I love my Cohibas. That makes sense. Uh, Jackson, where can everyone follow you and what's the best place? I know you're on Locals. What is your Locals? Where can people find you? And uh, what should they expect next in the coming days? Uh, Yes, I'm on Locals. You can check me out there and support me there. Uh, And I'm also on YouTube and Rumble. Jackson Hinkle, search it up. It's uh, jacksonhinkle.locals.com. Yeah, I think so. I think that's what it is. Jackson. And um, in the coming days, I, th- I I don't know. I got in the coming days, I think I'm going to be actually having on uh, uh, the Duran, the guys from the Duran again. I, I, I'm going to reach out to them. Alina Lip, I'm going to be having on very soon. Um, and also Glenn Greenwald. So you can expect that probably all with, I don't have exact dates, but probably within the next two weeks or so. That will be coming down the pipeline. Phenomenal. And Jackson, you'll send me all your links one way or another. I'm going to pin them in the pinned comments so people can find you. Thank you. Uh, let, let's do this again one of these days. This, is, this has been beautiful. I, I would love to have you guys on my show. I, I have had Mr. Barnes on the show, but I would love to have you on the show as well. Anytime. And um, I appreciate you looking past my labels and hearing me out and everyone in the audience as well. It's a it's a tool I use to look at the world, and I think we arrive at the same place. So I think that's what counts at the end of the day. I, I, I'm done with labels. They are they're they're not just irrelevant. They are weaponized by those who would issue them. So it's a nice philosophers. We can we can go there, but the labels have been weaponized, abused, and used to discredit. So we don't have to discuss the ideas in long format. I watched that debate with you and Vash. We'll talk about it after we end this one. <laughs> um, Jackson, th- stick around. We'll say our proper goodbyes. Everyone in the chat. Okay. Robert, you're going to be on the Durant tomorrow, are you not? Uh, yes, uh, 1 p.m. Eastern time. And then Friday is Freeform Friday with Eric Hunley and Mark Robert on talking about whatever conspiracy theory might pop in our heads. Uh, and wanna- maybe we'll talk to Mark Robert about what the heck he was doing on German 60 Minutes 20 years ago. Jeez, <laughs> now I got to go Google something. All that I know, I got to make sure not to go live at 1 o'clock tomorrow. I'll be live before or after, not at the same time. Jackson, thank you. Robert, stick around. We'll talk for a bit. Everyone in the chat, thank you all. You know where to find us and uh, enjoy the night. Peace out, peeps.